You, you want me to read this? All right. Hey, welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song, and this week it's Mercy Me. I am Brendan Kelly, your guest, their guest. What a beautiful read. Beautiful, beautiful First read. take. That's it's I, I am um, I am show business guys, um, and if there's one thing I pride myself in, it's being able to see a script and then just knock it out of the park first try. That is why we call you the talents, and that is why you're here today on As You Were a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, gents. Hey, I just gotta say, it's one hundred percent my pleasure. Because y- you wouldn't believe this guy, David Anthony. Brennan Kelly, um, of course, uh, we all know you uh, from Road to the Skeleton Coast, the podcast that you do with me. And uh, That's right. I am, a, I am, the, I am the sidekick on a, a very successful podcast. You do some other shit, too. Um, but David here, I mean, one time he brought Jeremy Bohm from Touche More over. He's like, oh, we got a guest. And this, you would not believe the ego on this guy, David. Just after every episode, he's like, hey, remember the time uh, Jeremy from Touche More was on? And it was all, it was all me. It was all my doing. I'm the whole reason that he came here. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. And I was just, I've just been waiting, just waiting for two years. Here we are. (laughs) You know, I think that's funny because, when you the way this sentence was constructed, I thought at first that you meant that Jeremy had uh, an amazing ego, and I was like, I've only met that guy a few times, but he seems like one of the most humble, chill dudes of all time. So, <laughs> yeah, you guys must have really been like fucking pig farming out here for him, <laughs> for him to have displayed any sort of like shitty ego because he seems very kind. Um, no, but David, no, Brendan, he, he's he's your. Ref- as we know, I am a noted uh, egomaniac, and uh, you know, just really love to sit around and praise myself for things I've done. One of my uh, most famous pastimes, as we all know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I'm just great, and you know, I'm glad that everyone enjoys my work. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I am fully aware of the loaded meaning of all this as somebody who does a podcast every week about my own albums. Uh, so. Thank you for the, the subliminal motherfucking. I promise you, I will still be happy to be here. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm just thinking of this more as like that episode where Jay Sherman goes to Springfield, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm Jay Sherman somehow because I am the critic. Uh, so let's, you know, let's not dive too deep into that. But thanks for doing this, Brendan. I'm sure this is exactly how you wanted to spend a Friday afternoon. Um, this actually is hooking me up pretty good. I'm, I'm more than pleased to be hanging out with you guys talking about, um, my, literally my favorite Alkaline Trio song. So, um, I'm, I'm well, thanks for having us. Me. Well, <laughs> the, the royal you. Um, me and my tits. <laughs> yes, yes, which looking great today, by Thank the way. You. Uh, and I, you know, having seen them in person can really attest to that. Uh, Tim. Usually we do the whole like uh, format of we pick a song at random, talk about it, but we let Brendan pick. And, you know, as he's prefaced, this is his favorite Alkaline Trio song. Let's just start there. How do you feel about this song? Well, I can tell you that I feel I've always liked this song. 
But what is um, nice about having Brendan on this week is that Crimson was a record that I didn't like all that much when it came out. I think it was in my senior year of high school. I think I sort of wrote it off and then flash forward five, six years reading a Bad Sandwich Chronicles post, Brendan's old blog, and he made an argument for Crimson that made me say, oh, wow, I should listen to that record again. And I think I spent an afternoon just driving around listening to Crimson probably three, four times, and I was like, damn, this is now become one of my favorite Alkaline Trio records. It's pretty awesome. Uh, Brendan, there's something I want to ask you about with in regards to that blog. Because I remember reading that at uh, my old shitty day job when you were doing Bad Sandwich back in the day. What made you feel like Crimson was a record that needed some kind of, not necessarily big defending, but like what made it something that made you feel like you had kind of had to plant your flag behind it a little bit? Well, okay, so the Alkaline Trio has the unenviable position of being one of those bands of which there are many that came out fully formed. It it was like Mm -hmm. these three beautiful guys with this very unique take Mm -hmm. on a very specific kind of pop punk with a very unique pop sensibility. And at the same time, an aesthetic that was like, seemed totally counter to that, that made everybody go, hmm. And it was like, of course, there was like bands like, uh, was a band Ink and Dagger that had like kind of tried to do something like that before, but they yeah. didn't have the same pop sensibility, right? And and an Alkaline Trio, when they made God Damn It, I feel like it was just a revelation for everybody, right? It was like, holy shit, all this stuff that seems so disparate can fit together. And then he's got this, like, guy with the voice of an angel and, like, these, like, great self-depreciating um, but still human uh, human and humorous and humble, like, lyrics, you know. And then this other guy, also with a great voice, also with great, like, you know, human and humble lyrics and like uh, and where do you go from there when no one's ever mm-hmm. heard of you and you burst out of the scene being like here's fucking 16 things that you've never thought of <laughs> you know and they're all fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. dope as hell um you know like the next record is sort of by definition um a little bit like people have now, now it exists, right? Uh-huh. So that record mm-hmm. is playing catch up no matter what, right? And and like and by the time they got to Crimson, I think people had um sort of written off the notion of the Alkaline Trio as this like dynamic and innovative band because of exactly the fact that they were so dynamic and innovative that you couldn't see that they were still them, you know? Like, like mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. after that, it was like My Chemical Romance is wearing, like, red shirts and black ties, you know? And so Alkaline yeah. Trio kind of gets lost in the sauce a little bit, right? And w- when they right. put out Crimson, um, it was right after Good Morning. And, like, in, in Good Morning, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this, a great album, I think it's the 
the fan favorite or whatever, but like there's a lot of like largesse on that record, right? There's a lot of uh, Mellotron, which for those mm-hmm. of you who don't know is uh, analog recordings of strings as played through a keyboard, right? So mm-hmm. it's essentially playing it's it's playing an orchestra with a single keyboard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and a lot of like like really heavy effects and weird stuff like that. And then post Crimson, they would go on to sort of employ even more bombast. And I think that's um, indicative of any band that starts out with like a really flagship album. It's like, well, we just have to go bigger and more and this and that. Yeah. Right. And with Crimson, I think it's where they struck the perfect, um, they struck the perfect chord between what made everybody fall in love with God damn it. And what they could be as thoughtful, um, song arrangers, you know, and it, and Mm -hmm. it really, it, it wasn't too much of either one. And, I think uh, I love those guys. I but I think it's the album cover that fucks up a lot of people's perception of the record because the album cover is goofy huh. as shit. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it's very two thousand five. Like it's very much you know. It's, well, Tim and I have talked about this before, and you mentioned it here, but like you know that type of thing there were definitely predecessors to the alkaline trio aesthetic but not necessarily in pop punk mm-hmm. but then by the time you get to crimson there's the my chemical romances there's the afis and there's the entire warp tour scene which is like doing a fourth rate version of yeah those bands that's all collected like kind of a like a 1930s art deco aesthetic too you know it's all becoming like a a weird like amalgamation of uh like vampires and tim burton and hot topic yeah and 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 like i see where the cover comes from because it's like very much like all of like matt's aesthetic it's like got like Mm -hmm. Derek on there like as kind of like a jack the ripper type character the out of focus woman uh you know like that the the sort of stark, like my bloody Valentine looking, um, like mm-hmm. base aesthetic mm-hmm. of like the, of the, of the layout design, um, you know, is, is all, um, it fits with, I understand it. It is a goofy ass album cover. And, and um, <laughs> yes, yes. And, 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 and like, and to put out, a record that to me was not just like a, I wouldn't say it's a return to form. I'd say it's definitive. I'd say it's the definitive mm-hmm. alkaline trio record besides God damn it. Mm-hmm. And have this like goofy album cover. I, I, I think that's what, what harmed it. If you swapped the covers of good morning and crimson, um, there, there would be no question which was the better album, I think. Well, I do think it's worth pointing out that Good Morning is is definitely uh, it's a close runner up in goofiness. If Crimson's the goofiest album cover that they have, I think that the three of them standing uh, like that on Good Morning is pretty fucking goofy too. Well, yeah, I, I will say that I think their album covers. Um, there are some that I think could. Uh, 
like I think infirmaries in that same vein, mm-hmm. you know, and I like the kind of campiness of the good morning one with the title and all that. Um, but Brennan, you brought up something that I think is actually like a really good point. And it's something that I remember when I would do rank your records interviews for noisy before Dan started doing that in his newsletter, when he left, there's a couple people I interviewed where their like defining records are like LP four or five. Right. And I would ask them about that. Like, does it feel like a gift to you? The fact that like you didn't hit the thing out of the park when you were 18 years old and now you're forever being measured against that because that is a difficult thing that I don't think people, I don't think the average fan thinks about, right? Because like, they don't have that idea of, all right, well, you know, it was lightning in a bottle and then you just have to keep trying to reinvent it. And I think what you're saying about Crimson is really, really astute because it's like, yeah, it is that perfect marriage of that type of energy that they had and that kind of forward thinking ambition, but with the kind of, the kind of glitz that they were kind of starting to flirt with albums prior and then finally actually had the ability to execute on. Right. Totally. And I mean, not, I don't, want to talk about fucking my band at all but like the i've said to both of you and i've said it very publicly like the saving grace of why i think my band is still kind of cool and people like us is that we didn't put out a good first record uh you know and we mm-hmm. had and we had to learn from it and continue to like study and like like ply our craft and stuff like that where and and that's no diss on like a you know, it's like fucking minor threat came out of the gate with like, like, yeah. like not just the best, like minor threat songs, but like maybe arguably the best hardcore record of all time, <laughs> you know, like yeah, how, it's up there how, for how sure. You fucking stand on those shoulders, you know, like, like when, and, and it's like sort of what I was saying is like when you, once it's introduced it's no longer new. You don't get to do that a second mm-hmm. time, you know? And yeah. so the only thing you can do is like, you can, you can go through like so many, like sort of SoCal skate punk bands do and put out the same album over and over and over and over again and just go, well, this is our thing. Or you could tinker with the formula until you're like JFA and you're putting out like a space odyssey thing where <laughs> you're supposed to do is like yeah, put yeah, out yeah, minute yeah. and a half long songs, you know? So I think that the, um, the relevance of Crimson to me is a testament to these guys somehow kind of doing both things. Like they, mm-hmm. they put out, they put out a bombastic first album and then they still, studied things and then you know we're able to refine it in a new way and that that was not disingenuous to what people were expecting and you know i know like everybody thinks here to infirmary is their record right like is that that's the oh the... not really Tim i does don't not. really um i think that i think that good morning is more um of the record for like I would say people that are around David and our age. Um, I think if you got into God damn it early um, and you were like, I did. like, like you did cause you were a lot cooler. Um, but if you got into, if you got in the alkaline trio when you were in high school and good morning hit you when you were in high school, 
I think that was the sweet spot. I think From Here to Infirmary was like a good record for them, but I think Good Morning was a better version of From Here to Infirmary. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, I mean, I know that I started out one of my rants by saying Good Morning is the fan favorite, and then I'm just like turning it around. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I mean, I think any of the first five people tend to really latch onto, right? Like, I, I think there's a case to be made depending on what your entry point is. Um, but I did want to. Bring hey, hey, hold up, like, hold up, hold up. You've been asking all the questions. I got a couple. I got a couple. That's, that's well, what I do, too. All right, all right you Brendan, go. isn't it cool that you and I are best friends now? That is, yeah, no, it's great. It's my favorite. All right, cool. So I got a couple <laughs> of other questions on that subject. No, um, it in the way that you're describing Crimson, though, it really brought to mind the I Lie My Face Off EP, where, you know, God damn it was... It's such a perfect, uh, like, cosmos that comes together to make that record. And I lied my face off. It's got a much darker aesthetic. You have Dan and Matt splitting both songs evenly. It's kind of a a more deliberate uh, direction that they're going to take moving forward, where Dan's a lot more integrated into the band. And I think that you find a little bit more refinement in what that dark energy is. And I think Crimson does a lot of defining in uh, similar ways. Yeah. I mean, I like, I sat there while Matt wrote the songs for, I lied my face off. Like I was like living on his couch at the time. Um, So uh, like, I kind of watched him do that a little bit. And I remember thinking I didn't totally get it at the time, you know? Um, And I think, I mean, history has proven me wrong, obviously, but just like in the heat of the moment, and it could have had everything to do with the fact that like I was in another band and I was like watching this guy like rocket ship past me, you know? And like, there's maybe like a little bit of like my own uh, insecurity playing into that whole thing. But like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Like, I Let My Face Off is a tempered, dark collection that um, does showcase both dudes and um, and is a very deliberate blueprint for, like, what what's to come, right? And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just weird for me to, like, divorce my own, like, well, yeah, you know, you guys fucking nailed it with that first record, but I don't get this uh, thing, which I think was more my own bullshit than anything to do with what's actually, like, laid down on the, um, you know, uh, wax, to be honest. For sure. Well, that's actually what I was going to kind of ask about, which is over on your other podcast, Road to the Skeleton Coast, uh, that you guys do. I know you're going through the slapstick stuff recently. Uh, and that's kind of tracing the origin of you kind of starting to play music, Brendan, and, and playing with Dan and like doing the Tommy Rot split that Glenn was on. But what are your first memories of hearing Alkaline Trio? Um, like, obviously, you were close to them, but like, did you hear the demo? Like, what did, what were your early thoughts on it? Because obviously, we don't need to go deep into like, what did you think of everything? But like, no. I'm kind of curious how you were viewing that stuff as it was hitting. So, like, at that point, um, Glenn's girlfriend was Heather, who's my ex-girlfriend. So, and 
they started dating like pretty quick after us. So Glenn and I had like a pretty funny relationship where we were like buds, but I don't think he totally liked me because I was the guy that was his girlfriend's boyfriend right before him, uh-huh. you know. But mm-hmm. sure. but I was. They lived on the first floor of this three flat, and uh, Matt lived on the second or third floor. I don't remember anymore. But um, the and I was staying with Matt because, um, well, because. Well, because my girlfriend left me again, and then, you know, <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I just couldn't go back to my apartment, right? Um, and uh, You were having a bad time that young people often have. Yeah, At least he exactly. didn't send any packages. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. We, um, I, we, but, we could scrub that if... <laughs> man, I don't I don't. I don't care. I mean, like, you know, it's a, ma- it's a matter of the uh, federal USPS <laughs> record at this point, right? <laughs> um, but, uh, but, so I was sitting there and I was waiting for Matt to come home from messaging, I think. And I was down there with those guys just like drinking a few beers. And Heather was like, oh, my God, you should hear Glenn and Matt's new band. They just did a demo. And I think it was like yesterday. Right. And they put it on and it was the the first demo for a song. And I remember listening to it and going, oh, wow, you guys are the best band in Chicago. There you go. Like this. This is this is what Chicago needed. You guys are the best band in Chicago. It's like the first thing I said when I heard it. And I'm. 100% positive that I actually said that and I'm not just like remembering things to be like I called it back in the day because <laughs> because Heather has uh, reminded me of that several times since then and as somebody who like, edits your talking tracks um, when you are not 100% sure on something you really put a lot of space in between starting to say it and then actually saying it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I just would like to point out that uh, in terms of editing uh, both of you, I'm much worse. So we've got that on record. Hmm. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm better than one person. <laughs> uh, so do we want to talk about this song in particular? I think now would be a good time to kind of dig oh, into yeah. it a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, Brennan, what makes this your favorite Alkaline Trio song? There is a... So, the things that I think that are great about the Alkaline Trio is... Uh, m- man, uh, there's myriad things that I love about what the Alkaline Trio does. One of them is taking a song that's, like, ostensibly a regular pop, punk sort of and I don't I, I don't even want to use the word punk in this particular case pop template and just imbuing it with a weird darkness that has nothing to do with like sneaky like minor chords or anything like that mm-hmm. it's it's that your soul just travels with it right the storytelling um is another thing I love I love Matt's voice I love Dan's voice this is one and I love that they always are grounded in a place, right? There is such a like just real 
geographical, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, anchor. I guess, I guess pride. Mm. No, not even anchor, but like pride that goes into everything. And this song, it starts out just like you, you hear it start, and it's just like, yep, there you go. It's it's a regular song, but immediately it's like Matt with his like unbelievable timbre and then Derek with that low voice underneath him doubling everything um mm-hmm. it it's just all all of a sudden you're just like oh I'm into this this is a guy walking around you know and then it's San Francisco it's Chicago and then Dan comes in and sings the back of the chorus and like it's it's like everything I want a soaring beginning of the chorus you know and like and lyrically it like hooks you in right away like just like it's been a long day living with this right there it's like all right i'm in i'm listening to this whole song you Mm -hmm. know and then and then it it cashes that check i mean and and uh like and the guitar parts are like really tasteful which is not always the case in songs like this um not always the case in alkaline trio songs but it's like everything is just like measured and tempered and it's just like this is like the sword that they pull out in those marines commercials uh you know like where they're like (laughs) like before you fight the the fucking giant or whatever, like they would they show on like Saturday morning cartoons, like be a Marine, which by the way is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. completely fucked up that you should not be advertising be a Marine to little kids. But I know that's the only way to get Marines, but, uh, <laughs> but like, well, I, I'm glad you are falling in line with this noted troop bashing alkaline trio podcast. So, <laughs> you know, welcome to the fold. <laughs> yeah. Good. Good. But like, but to me, it's just like, this is like the pure tempered, everything like like it's like you're a a dwarf and you've been traveling through the wastelands forever and you've collected the scraps of all the swords of the foes you vanquished and then you find a wizard that's going to melt them all down and put all the powers of all those swords into one sword that you can carry the rest of the way to me that's mercy me like that it's it's everything that they do well in a very succinct, sleek package. I love that this song, it, it's got so much context to it. It's anybody who's been following this band for a long time knows the meaning of Chicago, of San Francisco. Matt speaking to you as if you're on a one-to-one basis with him. But if you've never heard this band before you still get everything that you could need from the song itself. You don't need any of that context. Well, and I I think that's what, uh, you know, that's what great songs and great art can do, where it's like, if you're someone who does deeply know the thing, you're catching all those little check boxes, right? You're like, Oh, I know what that's from. And I know what this is a reference to. But even if you're devoid of that context, you can still listen to it and be like, yeah, that was fucking great. And I think what Brendan was kind of saying is what I would say is the positive of this song is it does all the things that I think, through up to that point they had done but just packages them together you know and i think one of the one of the best parts of it every time i listen to it 
is it's probably one of Derek's most tempered performances as a drummer. Like there's not many drum fills in the song. And obviously that dude is incredibly talented. And I just think it speaks to the fact that they know when they've kind of hit on it, they don't need to try and uh, they don't have to overwork it. You know, they aren't kneading the dough an extra 20 minutes and then their pizza comes out shitty. Like, it's just like, all right, we got it. It's good. We're good. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Totally. You know, um, we were just talking about Glenn and, uh, you know, now you bring up Derek and this is now Glenn Trio podcast. And so I would love to tell you guys a small anecdote about Glenn and Derek, um, which is it's this real real backstage anecdote guys um but uh it's so um feel free to cut this out if if, if you must because i'm a long-winded douche and i'm taking over your podcast i apologize but uh um so when derek started you know and i was like dude like it's like the first alkaline show that he's in and i'm like how'd you do this because i've known him since the suicide machines you know like me and derek have been friends since Mm -hmm. we were kids um, and, um, and, and he's, he's like, I just called him up and said, I hear you're looking for a drummer. And I showed up to practice and they were like, well, what songs do you know? And he's like, well, I know all of them. And <laughs> so <laughs> they started playing and I was like, dude, do you have any like sense of like being intimidated? Like by the fact that like Glenn was such a monster and he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, he like played open handed, which means like most drummers will play with their right hand on the hi-hat crossed over their left hand to play on the snare. Right. And Glenn mm-hmm. was a lefty who played with a right handed setup. So he would play his left hand on the hi-hat and his right hand on the snare, which gave him like a weird ambidextrous kind of quality. Right. You know, I'm like, I'm like, he was just such a monster. Mm-hmm. He played open handed. It's crazy, and Derek's like, I'm I'm good, man. And then they went on stage that night, and the whole night, Derek just played open-handed and just looked at me. Like, <laughs> 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 kind of like, hey, motherfucker, what, you thought this was impressive? Look, I, I do this just to show off, <laughs> you, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because he is that fucking good. Because he is you know? the best. I mean, Derek is one of the most singular geniuses I've ever met in my life, man. He's... Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, uh, to to pull that curtain back even further and extend this, uh, when you and I briefly worked together, Brennan, uh, you showed me the mashups that Derek was doing and uploading to YouTube, which are also incredibly impressive. (laughs) Uh, That man can make things fit together in a way that I would not expect. He's Uh, he's an unbelievable um, just craftsman. I mean, I guess if for lack of a better term, and that's reductive for what his skills actually are. But like, man, he, yeah, the guy's amazing. He's he's amazing. And there's one point in that show also where he was playing open handed and he just stopped playing with one hand and played everything just with one hand. He played the hi hat mm-hmm. and the snare. Um just, like only with his right hand, just just to really like drive it home. He's like, you, you, you think I'm intimidated by Glenn? How about this? One hand. <laughs> well, there's a there's a few moments in that live at the Metro DVD when uh, I think it was Kung Fu Records was doing that show must go off series. 
where if you watch it, he's the most entertaining part of it because he does little shit like that throughout it where he'll like, there's one where he just throws a stick in the air and then just, you know, keeps going with one hand. And yeah. Like, mm, yeah. You, uh, you know how to play your instrument pretty well and also sing and play other instruments very well. Um, <clears throat> but I do think in the context of Mercy Me, like he's kind of the secret thing. Like you were saying, like him kind of doing those backing vocals there too. Like, I think most people don't know how much he really sings on some of those records and how much he's really adding in the vocal department to like fill out those and those kind of other keys there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, Derek is a big arranger. He's the one that kind of like, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Dan. I know Matt's a lot like me and that he like kind of writes the songs comes in and does like what he's known to do. And then is like, you know, kind of steps back and lets like the technicians sort of work but mm-hmm. like so i don't i don't want to take anything away from dan but from what i know it's like Derek programs all that shit that's not the three-piece setup that you're thinking of when you think of the alkaline trio like every mm-hmm. single aspect of it is i i mean i don't know i don't want to say dan has nothing to do with it but um i know that it's like that's Derek's baby right and he does if, if you're listening to Alkaline Trio and there's like another voice going that's not Matt's or Dan's, I mean, it's it's Derek's, right? I mean, I, that, mm-hmm. that seems stupid, obvious to say. But yeah, he sings this whole song, you know? Yeah. I think that it's like, really easy to hear it and just think that Matt's just doing two tracks. Totally. Totally. But yeah, no, that's 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 Derek down there, which is... I also want to focus in on one of my favorite things that does happen in this song too, which is obviously it kind of comes in with that big like lead guitar part, but I love how right there before, before Dan kind of takes it home at the end, they're doing the same thing, but it feels like a guitar solo, which I think is one of the most uh, subtle things that they don't ever really do. Um, Usually like, you know, a lot of the the lead lines that's Matt, that Matt is writing don't really lend themselves to that type of treatment. But when it comes back in right out of the bridge, it just feels like this very anthemic guitar solo, which is not something I can really say about any of their other songs or even a lot of bands that fall into the punk spectrum as pulling that off. Totally. Yeah. Like that when that when that swell with that like sort of octavy riff thing, like kind of like swells in it's definitely like oh this is not an interlude this is its Mm -hmm. own part you know and that's um and that's uh really yeah it is it's unique for them and it's um it's also something hard to do right like you have to have a pretty good fucking interlude part to just do it one time and make it the guitar solo. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. So, I love how but, the, like the main riff is it's so, it's so simple. It's so like just in the pocket of what Matt does so well on the guitar of just making, you know, two, two note, three note things just sound like they can glue an entire song together. And this one is like, so subtle that it could just be like a part of a verse but it works as a lead but it also functions as like part of a verse it's just so there it's so ever present totally i mean um 
Yeah, you know, like simplicity is something that's often uh, maligned or whatever. Um, but because I mean, there's people that are just like, but have you ever heard Bella Fleck in the Fleck tones? That guy's not even a real drummer, you know. And it's <laughs> just like everybody's just like, and it's just like, yeah, what? So, you know, it's like it has to be good, right? At the end of the mm-hmm. day, and like, um, like I always point to the song "Treason" by Naked Raygun as having one of the greatest mm-hmm. guitar yeah. solos I've ever heard in my life, and it's two notes. I mean, it's you know, and it just does that a couple times, and then like bends those out, you know, and like, and I mean, this is obviously a much more like spit shined version of that right but but like it's the same thing it's like it virtuosity is often confused with um talent and mm-hmm. and and when it comes to songwriting virtuosity is talent i mean on a, just a base level obviously but but like yeah to put in this like very simple like Octavy thing and and have it um register with people as like a guitar solo type thing is it's it's a, it's a testament to like being able to strip it down to exactly what's needed there i think mm-hmm. i think that it comes to i think that one of the reasons that this song hits so well is that it feels so you know it's it feels like it's a part of what could be on God damn it. It, it feels like it's just kind of carried through from the beginning. Um, when you get into crimson, there's songs that have a lot more complexity. And this is one of the ones that sounds like Matt wrote it in 15 minutes and didn't have to touch it, which is something that you talk about doing a lot, Brendan. That's true. I mean, that is, that is when, that is when the best songs come out and when it, feels easy to then it is easy and what it is like that and that's what that's what people want i mean like uh and not to not to be like oh and you should pander to what people want but what i mean is like that's what people react to right that's what people respond to is is like the sort of being hit with being hit with the inspiration or whatever whether or not you have to work for that very hard um the, the illusion of that is is all encompassing. I don't know. He might have worked on this song for fucking five years, but the fact that he could craft yeah. it into a way that made it sound like he shat it out in five minutes is like is testament to the song. You know, totally. Uh, I mean, I feel like that's that's a pretty good place to end. Tim, what do you uh, you want to close it off? What do you rate this song? Oh yeah, Brendan, we rate these on a scale of five and uh for this one i'm gonna just go ahead and give it the full five out of five same it's pretty much perfect yeah i give it a five for sure it's it's awesome the only quibble i have with this song is the very last thing in the first verse where he says i'm lost at cc um mm-hmm. when i first heard it I thought that was some obscure community college in California that I didn't like CUC, <laughs> you know? And I was like, and I was like, that is so dope. 
And then I realized it was, I'm lost at sea, <laughs> you see? And I was like, oh, that's not as good. So, like, uh, I do love the idea of him <laughs> enrolling in trade school and not being able to find where his class was. But I just feel like he's trying to walk all the way back to San Francisco and he's like, oh, now I'm on this fucking weird college campus and I can't get off of it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's a minor, minor quibble and it has everything to do with me being stupid and, uh, and, and nothing to do with the lyrics themselves actually being wrong. So I, say, I maintain five. <laughs> I, I will say uh, you do have a good track record for mishearing some of his lyrics in ways that I find incredibly humorous, uh, which we do not need to get into. But that that's one of the best, I think. Well, a lot of the other ones are willful uh, reinterpretations, to be fair. Oh, I, I'm aware. Uh, but they work for a reason. That's right. That's right. Well, Brendan... David, I'm glad that I could carry you two through another podcast. Uh, As you do. Um, we have a... Brendan, blink twice if you're in trouble. <laughs> oh, terrible trouble. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. Uh, if you subscribe to both... Um, I make money on both of them. So that's a that's a good thing for you to do. And uh you can your grift is becoming more transparent. No, no. Once you've got them, once you've got them, they don't even notice when you're exploiting them. It's a truth, true. it's a true fact about showbiz. Uh it's true. We uh do this podcast every week. Brendan and I have a podcast every week called Road to the Skeleton Coast. We post it on Fridays. We've been posting this one on Wednesdays. It's been working out pretty good for uh, for all parties. And we'll have another episode coming next week. It'll be me and David again. And uh, it'll be all right. We'll 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 figure it out. We'll we'll make it, I think. Um, but yeah, check out Road to the Skeleton Coast and uh, subscribe, rate, tell your friends, and y'all be safe. Come back next week. Thanks, Bubbles. Bye. Right, thanks for having me.